0: Today we continue our reading of the 1950 booklet How to Survive an Atomic Bomb Last week we heard of the author's splendid optimism about Fallout Well, he hardly used such a dirty word Instead he spoke of rays and ashes Both very soft and insubstantial things But now we get to the hard, practical stuff Or, as the author himself puts it Let's get down to brass tacks. As I said in last week's episode, we must remember that this booklet, and its optimism, was written before hydrogen bombs had burst onto the scene, dragging with them the prospect of Armageddon. 1950 was the relatively gentle atomic era, and fallout from an atomic bomb is nowhere near as bad as the foul, filthy, gouging and pulverising and irradiating you get with the big hydrogen monsters. And so our author, Richard Gersell, when offering practical help and advice on surviving the bomb, suggests sending kids to the country. We've talked a lot about how that tactic would be quite futile in Britain in any kind of nuclear war, because we're so compact and there isn't a lot of space in which to escape, to flee any clouds of fallout. But America, of course, with its vast, vast territory, and... America in the atomic era, where fallout wouldn't have been so catastrophic, well, yes, sending the nippers away could indeed have worked. If your aim is simply get them to an area untouched by blast or fallout, then yes, in 1950 America, that could have been plausible. Of course, the whole send the children away approach doesn't tackle the tricky issues of life after the bomb. Who's going to feed and house and clothe them when mum and pop have been fried in the city? Will there be shortages and riots and anarchy and disease after the atomic war? And if so, will the kindly couple with the farmhouse who've taken in your kids be quite so kind after the war, quite so keen to hang on to them, to continue sheltering them, feeding them, sharing? scarce resources with them the booklet doesn't touch on that and yes to be fair it is called how to survive an atomic bomb not how to survive an atomic bomb and then the collapse of civilization the approach here is simply get the children out of the city save the children worry about the rest later well say you haven't sent your children away The author references the successful evacuation of children in wartime Britain, but if you dig below the surface on that, and there's quite a lot about this in the evacuation chapter in my book, dig below the surface of the happy, successful blitz evacuation of all the little cute children in Britain, and you find that most parents refused, they didn't want to participate in the scheme, they refused to send their children away. And of those who were sent, most of them were brought back home quite quickly. Parents sent them away and then, of course, the phony war began where nothing happened, no bombs dropped. And they thought, why is little Jimmy out there in the countryside? I miss him, let's drag the wee lad home. There was even a public information campaign about this, begging mothers to please leave the children where they are. So it was probably unlikely that the Americans would be vastly different and that they'd send their children en masse off into the countryside. And yep, that's what this little booklet assumes too. It says, yes, you could evacuate the children, but it then goes on to give advice to the American householder and it speaks as though he has his whole family still with him. So the book tells Pop what he will need to survive the oncoming atomic attack. And it's all quite standard stuff. You need your first aid supplies, you need your radio and batteries, you need a couple of torches, although this is America, so it's called a flashlight. And you'll also need, quote, an ordinary pail with a cover and a roll of toilet paper. Okay, we're being realistic here in saying, or implying, the unpleasant truth that you will need to use this bucket as a toilet. But then the realism falls away. A roll of toilet paper? One roll? One? Come on. But then when we look at Protect and Survive, which of course is from the 80s, from the hydrogen bomb era, that would recommend several pallets worth of toilet paper, not just one roll. And of course, perhaps again, that's explained by the difference in fallout. In the hydrogen bomb era, and the Protect and Survive era, you're told that after the bomb has dropped, you'll have to stay undercover, which means stay at home, using your little pail as a toilet, for two weeks, for 14 days. But there's no such rule in this booklet, which is referring, of course, to 1950s America, to the Atomic War, where fallout would not be as heavy. And so perhaps there would be no rule saying you have to stay indoors for 14 days. So maybe if everyone was... uh, Obedient. You could get away with just one roll of toilet paper for the whole family. So, asking the family to stockpile one roll of toilet paper, perhaps that's not realistic, but maybe you could get away with it. But then the booklet slips even further from reality by asking Pop, the householder, to keep the addresses of local hospitals and local doctors' offices. Now, this is surely a psychological thing. The dad might feel at ease, perhaps, if he knows where the nearby sources of official medical help are. But, are the hospitals and the GP offices still going to be standing? If so, are they still going to be properly staffed and equipped? We know, of course, from previous episodes that hospitals in target areas may have had to disperse their staff and equipment. But even if the hospital is still there and equipped and staffed, are the roads going to be passable to allow you access? And finally, even if you do get there, and it is open and staffed and accessible and working nicely, is it not going to be utterly besieged by other people? So just noting down Dr. Jones' address on a notepad probably isn't going to be much use, Unless, as I say, it's for the psychological ease this might bring. A tiny little paper connection with medical help. Looking again at the list of things that the household needs to stockpile, the booklet mentions first aid supplies. That's always the first thing, of course, on your list, a first aid kit. But it then begins deploying a bit of the old conventionalisation, we talked about that last week. If you remember, it's a tactic deliberately used in the early Cold War to try and make this new atomic bomb seem just like every other bomb. Trying to lessen public anxiety about it by saying, it's not a monstrous new invention, it's just a bomb, but, you know, a bit worse. And that was called conventionalization. So we get a fine example of it here. Referring to the first aid kit, he says, quote you may be surprised to learn that kits for atomic attack should contain exactly the same sort of stuff that's required for any other disaster. The reason for this is simple. In atomic raids, most of the injuries are just like those we see in homes, streets and factory. More than half of them are ordinary, everyday gashes, cuts, broken bones and bruises. And he also in this section plays down other effects of the atomic bomb. He says you'll need your torch, your flashlight, because the power might be out. But he says the atomic bomb probably won't be the cause of that. The atomic bomb wouldn't have destroyed the gas mains, for example. Instead, the blast might shake the house a little on its foundations so that the supply will be interrupted. So that's all it is then, a little little kink in the pipes, a little twist, a little blockage in the system. Indeed, the danger here lies in you being silly enough to try and light a match when your gas supply might be tricky. Quote, if you light a match or candle to see in the dark, it could easily be fatal. Ah, so that's where the danger lies after an atomic attack. It's not the atomic bomb, it's you, you, the silly householder, stumbling about in the dark because you didn't prepare and follow instructions, lighting a match because you don't have your flashlight ready, you stupid idiot, it's you who's caused the problem, not the bomb, as we saw last week, again, shifting the blame onto the little guy. Later in the booklet, he mentions the risk that an atomic raid could happen during the day. That's quite strange, because I always imagine it being a daytime thing. Whereas if you think back to the Blitz, I always imagine the Blitz happening at night. But he does stress this point. It can happen during the day. And of course, this is 1950s America, so that probably means that Dad won't be at home. He'll be out in the city, in his office, being Don Draper or something. So therefore all the advice in this booklet, all the knowledge, will be away with Dad. He'll have taken it off to the city when the bomb drops. So therefore the housewife must learn it also. She's the one, after all, who'll be at home when the siren blares. She is the one who must ready the house while husband and kids try to make it home in time. And that's not the only advice aimed at women in this booklet. He also suggests that ladies wear wide-brimmed hats when out and about, plus long-sleeved dresses and stockings even in the heat of summer. This is because a wide-brimmed hat, if miraculously tilted at precisely the correct angle, will help shield the face from the worst of the heat from the blast, and stockings and sleeves will cover up any otherwise bare flesh. Even light fabric covering is better than nothing. Also, be mindful of the colours, ladies. This is not fashion advice, but simply the old rule that dark colours absorb heat, whereas light colours reflect it. Of course, we saw this among survivors from Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Some people who wore patterned clothing found that they had the darker colours of the pattern burned onto their skin. So ladies of 1950, be light and sprightly. Go about your shopping with a big hat whilst draped in pale soft colours. Stop worrying and learn to love the bomb. Now we turn to section three with the ominous title, If It Happens. The first piece of advice given here is similar to current public information in Britain anyway about Covid which suggests act like you have it so don't go out, don't party don't cough all over people act like you have the virus well in this booklet you're told that if you hear a siren don't worry about whether it's a false alarm or maybe it's just a conventional bombing raid act like it's an atomic bomb act like you have it act like it's atomic Interestingly, we are then told to scoot indoors, close the windows, etc. But this booklet says, get supplies once you've run indoors to safety, and whilst the siren is still blaring, and whilst you're acting like it's atomic. Get supplies of water, collect them in jugs and buckets, but do not fill the bathtub. The booklet says you mustn't fill your bathtub with water, because, well, that would be excessive, and the fire department will need all the water they can get so don't run a huge big bathtub full just for yourself. Civil defence information from other countries uh, says the opposite. It tells us that we should fill the bath with water. In fact, one of my favourite images from civil defence information is from the Irish booklet, which shows a housewife filling her bath, and, <laughs> for reasons, the water is portrayed as bright green. It looks like the Chicago River on St. Patrick's Day. So Irish people were told to fill the bath with water, and British people were advised the same. In our civil defence booklet from the 60s, advising the householder, and from, of course, the more famous one, Protect and Survive, from the 80s. They both specifically tell you to fill the bath with water. So perhaps, again, we can explain the difference there by the fact that our American booklet is from the Atomic Age, when it was feasible, yes, that firemen could still be Rushing to the rescue after the atomic raid. The other booklets I've just cited here are all from the thermonuclear age, when perhaps we'd given up hope of firemen racing down the street to rescue us. If you want to know more about how firemen would get water to nuclear fires in Britain, check my episode called The Green Goddess, where you'll see they were planning to draw water from lakes and rivers. They weren't worried about bathtubs being used. How do you get water from a lake into the city centre? Ah, listen to The Green Goddess and you'll find out how. <laughs> also, it's worth mentioning that the Irish ladies filling their baths with green water probably wouldn't have had to contend with fires anyway. If you check out my episode on Irish civil defence, you'll see that their main worry wasn't blast and fire, it was... <laughs> being blanketed with fallout from the destruction of their troublesome neighbour across the Irish Sea. What if the father is, as we said, in the office and is then driving home when the siren goes off? Well, if Dad's in his car, the advice is to pull over nicely and sensibly, make sure you pull into the curb, don't block the traffic, and then get out of the car and seek shelter in the nearest building. Okay, that was the advice in 1950. By the 1980s, American guidance about the car and nuclear war had changed drastically. In the 80s, there was talk of what were euphemistically called expedient shelters. That referred to a hole dug quickly in the ground, which would then be covered by your parked car. You would dig, 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 a makeshift shelter and then manoeuvre your car over the hole and then somehow, dive into the hole so therefore you're digging your own grave and using your car as a coffin lid so these are the practical measures of what you do, according to this guy Richard Gerstle if it happens so let's say everyone does make it home in time you're all gathered in the home with the siren blaring. Then what? Well, in this book, um, it's made up of questions and answers. Here's a question. What do you do whilst you're lying there, waiting for the bomb to drop? The question here is, so, I may have to lie there for 15 or 20 minutes or longer on my face in a cellar. And then... If there is actually a raid, I have to lie there all through it. What should I think about lying there? I'm not kidding. What should I think about? I suppose it's a deeply personal question everyone will think about something different. But the answer given here is of course you're not kidding. It's a tough time to have to go through. Let me interrupt him there. Is that not the euphemism of all time? It's a It's a tough time to have to go through. Don't let anybody tell you it isn't. Lots of people have little tricks to help steady their nerves at a time like that. Let me just turn the page. Like reciting jingles or rhymes or the multiplication table. In addition, you should keep your radio on and listen to whatever comes over it. One of the best things you can do will be to go over in your mind carefully and slowly just what you're supposed to do after the raid is over step by step go over it slowly remembering all the facts you've learned from this book making sure you've learned them straight so you don't make any false moves he goes on to say when the bomb goes off you won't have to worry about thinking of anything you'll probably be frightened but don't be ashamed of being afraid at that moment it's perfectly normal and healthy to be afraid of danger. Just don't let it make you lose your head and forget the facts in this book. Make sure you've got hold of yourself by the time the all clear sounds. The next question is Alright, let's say I've taken all the safety steps. I've gone down on my face with my head in my arms. The bomb has gone off. I've waited for the all clear Or at least I've waited a good length of time after the explosion before I get up. What do I do then? The answer? Get set for a shock. We'll look next week at what type of shock he foresaw. Does he play it down or hammer up? Now before we go, this is the section where I thank my new patrons, but there haven't been any this week. So, I will thank some of my long standing current patrons. This week, thank you to Wynne Grant, Colin McGee, Brian Outlaw, Damien Ryan, Peter Lee, The No Name Kid, and Harry Andrews. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I'll be back next Monday.